Justice Kagan, with whom Justice Breyer and Justice Sotomayor join, dissenting from grant of applications for stays. A three-judge district court held that Alabama's redistricting plan violated Section 2 of the Voting Rights Act, VRA. The district court, including two judges from the state, found that the plan unlawfully diluted the votes of the state's black population and ordered the state to devise a new plan for the 2022 elections. Alabama now seeks a stay of that ruling. Usually, when a litigant applies to this court for a stay, it argues that the lower court erred under current law, but Alabama's application cannot be understood in that way. Accepting Alabama's contentions would rewrite decades of this court's precedent about Section 2 of the VRA. For that reason, this court goes badly wrong in granting a stay. There may or may not be a basis for revising our VRA precedent in light of the modern districting technology that Alabama's application highlights, but such a change can properly happen only after full briefing and argument, not based on the scanty review this court gives matters on its shadow docket. The district court here did everything right under the law existing today. Staying its decision forces black Alabamians to suffer what, under that law, is clear vote dilution. With respect, I again dissent from a ruling that undermines Section 2 and the right it provides. Part 1 Following the 2020 census, the plaintiffs here challenged Alabama's newly enacted redistricting plan under Section 2. Alabama's population is 27% Black, but under the plan, Black voters have the power to elect their preferred candidate in only one of the state's seven congressional districts. That alone does not demonstrate vote dilution. What raises the prospect of a Section 2 claim is that Alabama's Black population is heavily concentrated in the urban population centers and an area of the state known as the Black Belt, named for the region's fertile Black soil, where many enslaved people were taken during the antebellum period. Because Black voters in Alabama are relatively geographically compact, the plaintiffs argued that the state could have drawn a second congressional district meeting traditional districting criteria in which black Alabamians would constitute a majority. But the state had instead packed much of the black population into a single district and cracked the remainder over three others. That action, the plaintiffs contended, diluted their voting power. The court's long-standing precedent imposes strict requirements for proving a vote dilution claim. To start, plaintiffs must satisfy three conditions, often referred to as the jingles conditions. Those conditions are, one, 
that the minority group is sufficiently large and geographically compact to constitute a majority in a district. Two, that the minority group is politically cohesive. And three, that the white majority votes sufficiently as a block to enable it usually to defeat the minority's preferred candidate. If plaintiffs satisfy those conditions, they must then show that a Section 2 violation has occurred based on the totality of the circumstances. Those circumstances include the history of race-based discrimination in the state, especially as to voting rights, to the extent which voting is racially polarized, and the extent to which minority candidates have struggled to get elected to public office. Under our precedent, plaintiffs have long satisfied the first jingles condition, the only condition at issue in Alabama's stay application, by showing that another reasonably compact majority-minority district can be drawn, consistent with traditional districting principles. Those principles include, in addition to compactness, continuity, respect for existing political subdivisions, and the desire to keep together existing communities of interest. To make the requisite showing, plaintiffs typically submit one or more illustrative alternative maps complying with traditional districting criteria, while also adding a majority-minority district. The plaintiffs here did just that, in a seven-day preliminary injunction hearing with live testimony from 17 witnesses, they built an extensive factual record, including substantial evidence going to the ease of creating a second-majority black district. Based on that record, the district court found that the plaintiffs' illustrative plans, each with a second-majority black district, complied with traditional districting criteria as well as or better than Alabama's enacted plan. As the court explained, the plaintiffs' proposed plans have nearly zero population deviation, include only contiguous districts, include districts that are at least as geographically compact as those in Alabama's plan, respect traditional boundaries and subdivisions at least as much as Alabama's plan, protect important communities of interest, and protect incumbents where possible. Alabama's efforts to rebut the plaintiff's showing hinged on an expert to whom the district court gave very little weight, the court explained that his testimony was riddled with internal inconsistencies and vacillations, and that he often offered an opinion without a sufficient basis, or in some instances, any basis. And even that expert had to concede that as to compactness, the plaintiff's plans perform generally better on average than the enacted state plan. Faced with that mountain of evidence, the district court found the first jingles condition met. 
Indeed, the court noted that just eyeballing the map of Alabama's black population shows how easy it is, given the shape of the black belt and the nearby locations of Birmingham and Mobile, to draw two reasonably configured majority black districts. The district court also found that the plaintiffs made the required showings on the other jingles conditions and the totality of the circumstances. The court stated that there is no serious dispute that black voters in Alabama are politically cohesive, nor that the challenged district's white majority votes sufficiently as a block to usually defeat black voters' preferred candidates. Two, the court found that the vast majority of factors considered in the totality of circumstances inquiry favored the plaintiffs, including the extent to which voting is racially polarized, vary, the extent to which members of the minority group have been elected to public office, rarely, and the history of voting rights discrimination in the state, significant. The court noted that recent political campaigns in Alabama had included obvious and overt appeals to race. To take just two, Congressman Mo Brooks repeatedly claimed that Democrats were waging a war on whites, and Roy Moore asserted that the civil rights amendments to the Constitution completely tried to wreck the form of government that our forefathers intended. After all this, the court considered whether, under Alabama's plan, the number of districts in which the minority group forms an effective majority is roughly proportional to its share of the population. The court found it was not, noting that black Alabamians are 27% of the population but have meaningful influence over just 14% of congressional seats. Or put another way, less than one-third of Alabama's black population resides in a majority black district, while 92% of Alabama's non-Hispanic white population resides in a majority white district. In light of that extremely robust body of evidence, the district court held that the record compels the conclusion that Alabama's redistricting plan substantially likely violates Section 2. Indeed, the district court did not regard the question whether the plaintiffs were substantially likely to prevail on the merits of their Section 2 claim as a close one. Part 2 Alabama insists that the district court's decision is wrong. Even though the state does not contest any of the findings outlined above, Alabama does not argue, for example, that its enacted plan performs better than the plaintiffs' proposed plans when measured against traditional districting criteria like compactness. Rather, Alabama argues that the proposed plans do not satisfy the first jingles condition because the plaintiffs' experts did not draw them with race wholly out of mind, using 
only race-neutral criteria. The state would essentially require the plaintiffs to demonstrate that modern map-drawing software designed to give no attention at all to race would produce maps with two majority black districts. But in making that claim, the state seeks to graft onto the VRA a new requirement, lacking any foundation in our precedent. The first jingles condition recall only the initial step in a much larger analysis, asks a question specifically about race. Is a minority group sufficiently large and geographically compact to constitute a majority in an additional district consistent with traditional districting criteria? Consistent with the nature of that question, the plaintiffs here did what plaintiffs in a Section 2 case have always done. They hired experts and charged them with the task of drawing maps with another reasonably configured majority black district. That has been the very project of the first jingles condition. If plaintiffs cannot produce such illustrative maps showing that what they are asking for is possible, their claim fails at an early stage of the litigation. At no time has this court held that plaintiffs must answer the race-infused question of the first jingles condition without any awareness of race. Indeed, until recently, that would have been well-nigh impossible. In Alabama's view, though, the advent of computerized districting should change the way the first jingles condition operates. Plaintiffs can now use technology to generate millions of possible plans without any attention to race. Alabama claims that some number of those plans, what number is unclear, must contain an additional majority black district for Section 2 plaintiffs to satisfy the first jingles condition. But whatever the pros and cons of that method, this court has never demanded its use. We have not so much as floated the idea, let alone considered how it would work. Alabama's stay request, then, is premised on an entirely new view of what the law requires. To make matters worse, the record gives Alabama no basis for arguing that this case would come out differently under its race-blind computer simulation approach. Alabama's brief centers on the supposedly showstopper claim that one of the plaintiff's experts had randomly generated a large number of Alabama plans and produced not a one with two majority black districts. But as an initial matter, Alabama never introduced that expert study into the record and the testimony about it takes up just four pages of a nearly 2,000-page hearing transcript. In any event, the analysis was based on stale 2010 census data, not the relevant 2020 data, which showed a relative increase in Alabama's black population, and it did not account for several of Alabama's 
traditional districting criteria, including keeping communities of interest, like the Black Belt, together. When the plaintiff's expert was asked at the hearing whether a race-blind computer program could produce maps with two majority black districts, she replied that it certainly could. So Alabama's application for a stay rests on only this much, a single study not in the record that supposedly, but not actually, shows that the plaintiffs cannot comply with the requirement we have never adopted and that stands in some tension with jingles. The question whether to accept Alabama's position demands serious and sustained consideration, the kind of consideration impossible to give on a short fuse without benefit of full briefing and oral argument. Alabama's challenge to the district court's decision cannot succeed unless this court adopts a novel legal rule, and more, a novel legal rule of potentially large consequence. Substantial questions merit substantial thought. Here, the district court carefully and correctly applied the now-existing law and concluded that Alabama has unlawfully diluted the voting power of black Alabamians. This court is wrong to stay that decision based on a hastily made and wholly unexplained prejudgment that it is ready to change the law. Part 3. As to the equities, Alabama does not, because it cannot, contend that redrawing its map in advance of this year's elections would be impossible. The state's legislature enacted its current plan in less than a week, and the legislature has all the tools necessary to draw another including access to an experienced cartographer, and not just one or two, but at least 11 illustrative remedial plans complying with the district court's injunction. For that matter, nothing about the court's injunction could have come as a surprise. The state has been on notice since at least 2018 that these or similar plaintiffs would likely assert a Section 2 challenge to any 2021 congressional redistricting plan that did not include two majority black districts or districts in which black voters otherwise have an opportunity to elect a representative of their choice. And indeed, the legislature in this current election cycle considered at least one alternative map containing two majority black districts. Simply put, Alabama has known for quite some time that the VRA may require it to draw a different map. It has all it needs to do so, and it has shown just how quickly it can act when it wants to. And Alabama cannot here invoke the so-called Purcell Principle which disfavors changing election rules at the 11th hour. Alabama contends that the district court's order comes too late because changing the map now may confuse voters who are moved 
to new precincts and may hurt non-major party candidates who have to scramble to obtain new signatures. But the district court was right to say that this case is not like Purcell because we are not just weeks before an election. The general election is around nine months away. The primary date is in late May, about four months from now. Even the first day of absentee primary voting, which Alabama has leeway to modify, is March 30th, more than two months after the court issued its order. This court has previously denied stays of district orders issued at similar times. I see no reason to do otherwise here. The plaintiffs commenced their lawsuits within hours or days of the enactment of Alabama's plan in November 2021, and the district court immediately expedited its proceedings. Indeed, consistent with everything else the court did right, it moved with astonishing speed. The only delay of a few weeks came at the request of the state. Alabama is not entitled to keep violating Black Alabamians' voting rights just because the court's order came down in the first month of an election year. Today's decision is one more in a disconcertingly long line of cases in which this court uses its shadow docket to signal or make changes in the law without anything approaching full briefing and argument. Here, the district court applied established legal principles to an extensive evidentiary record. Its reasoning was careful, indeed exhaustive, and justified in every respect. To reverse that decision requires upsetting the way Section 2 plaintiffs have for decades and, in line with our case law, proved vote dilution claims. That is a serious matter, which cannot properly occur without thorough consideration. Yet today the court skips that step, staying the district court's order based on the untested and unexplained view that the law needs to change. That decision does a disservice to our own appellate processes which serve both to constrain and to legitimate the court's authority. It does a disservice to the district court, which meticulously applied this court's long-standing voting rights precedent. And most of all, it does a disservice to black Alabamians, who under that precedent have had their electoral power diminished in violation of a law this court once knew to buttress all of American democracy. We've come to the end of the opinion. Until next episode, thanks for listening to what SCOTUS wrote us.